Hi listeners, this is your second favorite Scorpio reporting in. As some of you might have heard, uh, this past weekend there was a tragic hate crime uh, mass shooting that took place in Buffalo, New York. And as some of you might remember, I live in Buffalo, New York. So I just wanted to use the first 30 seconds of this episode to promote some places uh, that you could donate in the spirit of the City of Good Neighbors. Uh, the Tops on Jefferson is the only full-service supermarket on the east side of Buffalo. So in order to help feed the community, uh, a good place to donate would be the Buffalo Community Fridge or Feed More WNY. There's also a GoFundMe verified list of fundraisers that helps relieve some of the financial burden of losing a loved one on the families of people affected. I will put all of the relevant links in the description, and if you follow me on Twitter, I do have a running thread of resources um, that I add to as I see things come up. But otherwise, um, you know, just uh, when things like this happen, uh, you gotta let yourself be angry. I think for too long, a lot of people have focused on positivity, but I think it's okay to be completely uh, and consumingly pissed off. So um, I'm sorry if you were expecting a message of radiant positivity, but uh, uh, we do have to occasionally say, fuck Nazis. Um, yeah, now that I've thoroughly been a bummer, please enjoy this episode. Welcome to Mortified Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Channing Tatum's wig. And this week, we talk bodice rippers and rom-coms with The Lost City. Before we examine Mr. Tatum's plucky warrior, remember you can help us unmortify the legitimacy quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, setting up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. Do you ever long for adventure? Beep! 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 What? Avatar Watch. Beep, oh, shit. Beep! Beep! Avatar Watch. Hi, everybody. Welcome to your favorite segment and mine, uh, Avatar Watch, which is something we started, what, like two weeks ago? But now we're going to keep going because, uh, unfortunately, the latest and greatest uh, Tumblr post that threatened... Avatar being delayed to 2015 is now dead because Avatar 2 Way of the Water has a trailer. Aaron, comment? Oh, Layla, I have far too many comments for this particular bit of media. Um, but, I mean, uh, where to start? Uh, let's see. Our, our classic heroes, Jake and Neytiri, have a family. Um, that's probably the biggest update. I mean, you know, the uh, the world of Pandora looks you know, as CGI as ever. It's it's beautiful. There's a lot of water. I can't wait to see all the water monsters. Layla, um, when I watched this trailer, um, a couple things stood out to me. Um, mm -hmm. First was, of course, uh, Jake Sully's um, dreadlocks, uh, mm -hmm. which immediately ruined all good faith that I had in that program, um, you know, within the first 10 seconds of watching the trailer. 
Um, but when we t- he he starts to talk about his family, there is one particular character who is not necessarily a Navi. Uh, he looks like a human. He's wearing one of those rebe- breather masks. Uh, he's white-ish. I think he's got cat stripes. And I sent this to you, and I said, Layla, do do Jake and Atiri have a biracial son? And here is where you and I got into one of our very rare disagreements in our friendship. Um, because Jake Sully no longer has his human body. Therefore, who is the boy? So that's, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. Um, where I will diverge with Layla um, is that, so Jake Sully is not in a full Navi body. He is in a hybrid avatar body, which is created by the DNA of his dead brother and uh, and, av- and, and a Navi. So technically he's driving his brother's body. Um, he, so technically J- Jake Sully is a bit of a biracial person himself. My theory is that uh, they do have a biracial son that just one of them came out half human uh, and they're going to have a really, really heinous character arc about it. Right. Uh, and there is a wonderful thing you pointed out to me vis-a-vis uh, Jake Sully inhabiting his brother's body, which is that his son is technically his nephew. Yeah, I mean, that's not his own um, DNA he's blasting out down there. Um, all of all of Jake Sully's kids, because of the nature of the Avatar body, are actually his brother's kids, which is very funny. <laughs> and I will tell you the thing I told uh, my dear good friend Marty, which is, if that is Jake Sully and Neytiri's son, then congratulations to Neytiri, because that little guy must have slid right out of that nipple <laughs> Just like a bungee cord! Just boing! <laughs> she must have not even known she was pregnant to be quite honest with you oh god Layla um I mean do you have any like emotional reactions beyond the, the fact that they're they're gonna do some more bad shit in Avatar I'm excited to see you in person to watch this that's my emotional response yes no we're gonna have a wild time in December somewhere in the great state of Indiana uh and we are going to watch what is certain to be both a blockbuster film and you know a war crime against storytelling (laughs) so cannot wait for that yeah uh it's gonna be um this movie has been 13 years in the making Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. The storytelling of Avatar was a little out of date by 2009 standards, so I, like, the question we posed during that episode, and the question we will certainly pose in December is, what? That's it. That'll be the question we ask, I think. Uh, Stay tuned for more great Avatar (laughs) criticism in the weeks to come. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting, um, and for the sake of for the sake of me as a games professional, this is not incriminating the Avatar Vinci game, which I'm sure is great. We have uh, no criticisms <laughs> of Ubisoft whatsoever. <laughs> Wink. Not at all. Anyway. Not at all. Um, anyway, uh, that was a great segment. Uh, Aaron, what was the question you were about to ask me before we did our very important new segment, Avatar Watch? <sighs> Layla, do you ever long for adventure with a lovable himbo? I hate that you asked me this. Why would you set me up like this? Absolutely. I'm constantly talking to you about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought you might, which is why I think that you propose we watch uh, the 2022 action comedy romance, The Lost City, starring uh, Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, and Daniel Radcliffe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Well, I 
I saw this uh, action rom-com while on a lovable adventure with a lovable himbo of my own uh, in Austin, Texas. Shout out, Ange. Uh, friend we of had the pod. Time to kill. Friend of the pod. Friend, friend of friend. Genuinely, <laughs> uh, we had some time to kill in Austin, Texas, and we said, "Let's go to the movies." And we saw this flick, and I've been talking about it ever since because it is genuinely some of the most fun I've ever had in the movie theater. Do you want to go ahead and explain uh, the? Not super complicated, but certainly fun plot of The Lost City. Um, and also, if it's not clear, we're naming this episode, this one's about a movie, uh, because last time we did The Forgotten City, so that's Layla had a very good joke, um, just yeah. so you all know and Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for spelling it. out my joke. Uh, Tweet at Layla and tell her how good her joke is. <laughs> th- yeah, please, oh, please do. Oh, please do. Yeah, that'll do, that'll do wonders to my ego. Um... So, uh, The Lost City is about Loretta Sage, played by Sandy Bullock. Um, And Loretta Sage uh, is an archaeologist whose archaeologist husband, John, has unfortunately passed away. So, instead of uh, finishing her research, which she could not get published anywhere, um, she turned to her other passion, writing. And as we know, the things that sell are Harlequin novels. So, she writes archaeology-based Harlequin novels. In Loretta Sage's uh, latest uh, work, The Lost City, is uh, boasts the same cover model and the same male lead it always does, uh, Dash, uh, or Alan, as played by Channing Tatum. And the way you can tell when he's Dash or when he's Alan is uh, by his beautiful Fabio-ass wig. Um, there, it's, it's a great prop, and I love it very much. But anyway... Loretta writes a book called The Lost City and goes on this press tour with Alan to promote it. Uh, unfortunately, she also gets kidnapped uh, by uh, Abigail Fairfax, who is, um, I think of him as like a like a one of the Fox sons, you know, we're talking succession, we're talking media mogul, uh, played by none other than short king Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, and Daniel Radcliffe says, hey, I know this is your research. I think this book will actually lead me to the lost city and its treasure. And Sandy Bullock says, ha ha, no. Uh, and so Daniel Radcliffe does kidnap her and take her to this island and makes her translate things. Um, in the meantime, Alan realizes that Sandy is kidnapped and he is in love with her. So he wants to apologize for being obnoxious. And he recruits um, Beth, who is the publisher, and... Uh, and Jack Trainer, who he has on his phone as Jack Parentheses Trainer, uh, who is Brad Pitt to help rescue Sandy. Um, he gets separated from Beth, and Jack quickly dies, uh, leaving Alan and Loretta stranded on this island and needing to escape Abigail's clutches. Hijinks ensue, and at the end, they realize that the real treasure was love all along. Um,. It is a wild romp and a fantastic time. Aaron, did that do it? Yeah, no, I think you summed it up perfectly. Uh, You know, you get our two people who don't like each other super much at the beginning. They have some sort of weird um, caper in the middle. And by the end, they're in love. And it's great. And I had a great time watching it. And I'm glad that you suggested it for this podcast because, um, you know, it's very different than what we normally do. Um, You know, we don't, we honestly do a lot less like live action um especially like mainstream live action um and and this one the funny thing is is that you suggested it 
Oh, I did. Yeah, because I read, I just heard somebody talk about how fun it was. Uh, and I was like, this seems like something that Layla might like. And it turned us out you did like it because you had seen it previously. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's kind of perfect for us because we, we like to shake things up here at Mortified. We certainly, certainly do. Uh, so let's talk about our characters. Uh, Aaron, you had some beef with Loretta. I think Loretta, you know, um, starts out as a little bit unlikable, which is kind of in the mold of like, um, you know, rom-com uh, protagonists, um, especially when I'm thinking like Hallmark, right? I'm thinking, you know, businesswoman who, you know, just is, is wedded to her work and doesn't have time for a man, um, you know, doesn't re- um, realize that she, you know, needs to get out of the house. Like her whole, you know, her, her main flaw is that she is, you know, grieving her husband who passed five years ago. And, like, that's the reason that she can't, you know, really write her books super well anymore and, you know, doesn't want to leave. Um, we get a sequence at the beginning when she's writing this latest novel and she's, she, you know, she's just like, you know, it opens with like a scene from the novel and then she's just like going through and deleting all the scenes. And then she's just like, you know, you know what? You know, this doesn't feel right, but I just got to fucking submit a book and, you know, big mood. Um... And, like, yeah, she comes off as, like, really kind of mean-spirited, especially in her relationship with Dash. Um, you know, during the uh, the press tour, she, like, pulls his wig off and, you know, tell, you know says some mean stuff to him. And they get in a big fight. And, like, you know, that's kind of, um, I mean, that's kind of part of the setup. But, like, it seemed like she was just kind of mean. And I was like, oh, that's not very nice to poor Channing Tatum, who is, you know, genuinely just, like, a big idiot who is, is trying to do the right thing. Um but, like, that's kind of the point, right? You you start them off with kind of rough around the edges. Um, as you progress into the plot, especially in the parts of Act 2, you start to, like, you know, have them, you know, rub off in each other and, and get to see more of their interiority. Um, and then by the end, you know, they're they're lovable and sweet and, and great. Um, we'll talk about the actual bad stuff that is part of Loretta's character, um, because she is a bit of a Laura Croft. Um, but we will talk about that in our Talking Point segment. Um, Layla, would you please do me the honor of talking about one Mr. Channing Tatum uh, or Alan. So here's the thing, uh, friends. Uh, I never really found Channing Tatum all that attractive until this movie. Oh, no. Um, Because I think Channing Tatum has been unfortunately typecast as, like, boring jock. Nobody ever let him be a fun jock. (laughs) Um, With the exception of, I want to say, what is that movie with... Uh, Amanda Bynes with the soccer. Um, is it She's All That? Was he in She's All That? Soccer movie. She's the man. Is the one uh, I'm thinking of. Yeah, he? so She's the Man starring Channing Tatum. And that one was wow. fun because they made him stuff a tampon up his nose. Uh, because that's how Amanda Bynes, at, dressed as a boy, said that she cured her nosebleeds. By stuffing a tampon up her nose. Fair enough. Um, in this movie, Channing Tatum gets to be just the most charming doofus I've ever seen in my life. That dash wig is so fucking funny because when he puts it on, he's a different person. Um, Aaron, have you seen? Um, have, did I ever send you the clip? that they put together about becoming Dash. I feel like you tweeted it, and I I saw it, and, like, he had a very good time. It seemed like Mr. Tatum was really living for that character in a very fun way. In the camera. Oh, we're gonna watch it. And and yeah, get in here. Okay, I'm in. 
I think Dash is out of his mind. To be Dash, <laughs> I think Dash is out of his song. mind. Seeing Channing in his Dash outfit, he came out of the dressing room. The hair exited first, and then the acid wash jeans, and the open shirt. I think there's a limit to how many buttons can be buttoned, which is basically one. He's a brilliant actor. Some of the stuff he does as Dash in this movie, there's a moment where he blows out a candle and then continues to use it to search for light. I was pretty nervous about the whole wig situation. I wasn't ready for what it was going to do to me, like, spiritually. Just sort of, like, <laughs> suction cups to my head, and then all of a sudden, Dash is there. The hair flings and the... You know, it just it should never have a mane like that because it just takes over his personality. I sort of blacked <laughs> out. The wig is actually in control. It manipulates you, and you're just the pawn in its game. <laughs> the wig manipulates you, and you're just a pawn in its game. That's very good. Yeah, I think my favorite part of that little clip is is uh, the one where they talk about him blowing out the kin. Because <laughs> 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 he to use it. No. Yeah, I'm so go ahead. I was going to say, that's a great summation of what uh, Alan's character is. He's just like a complete idiot, but very sexy and, um, you know, generally tries to do right, the right thing, even when he's, you know, kind of bumbling about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love I love this for, for Channing Tatum very, very much. Uh, did you did you enjoy watching our good boy? Yeah, no, uh, Harry Potter did a great job. Um, I am so glad that they got Daniel Radcliffe for this role because, like, uh, uh, I, I think we, you know... I don't want to say we are in like the the far cryification of villains, but like I feel like that kind of villain ever since the fucking Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, like everybody has been trying to do that Joker um, in a in their villains in a weird way, um, and I you know I think that's an effective villain, but certainly not for a movie like this. Um, and Daniel Radcliffe like gets at the like heart of that which is like you know a, a billionaire egomaniacal who is like you know wants to you know cement their legacy he has that weird intensity that you want to get from a character like that but also he's just so like goofy like he's just like oh when when they bring sandra bullock in he's, he's like oh man was this creepy i didn't want it to be creepy i'm sorry um and like he has this like energy that he brings like um <laughs> to the to this role like there's a part where sandra bullock sets the car on fire that they're in he's just like no no you didn't have to <laughs> he's just very frustrated and he's he's not like you know murderous but he's very grouchy and angry um there's only like one time when he like actually does at the very end when he's like no no you know get in the coffin you're gonna be buried alive it's like okay like you know now now he's evil um but like before that um you know, I, I think he's a very fun villain who is just the right amount of like, you know, like weirdly intense about their pet project, but also like silly. Um, it's very fun to see, you know, our short king Daniel Radcliffe like walking around with all these like big muscular henchmen because they're like, you know, standing like uh, you know a head and a half above him, and like he's just like ordering around like Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock who are also big tall people. Uh, it's just nice. I want to see more short villain representation in our media. Sandra Bullock, who we have failed to mention, uh, did an entire action rom-com in a pink sequin jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, she has the um, one stupid outfit the whole time. It's very good. <laughs> Which I think it deserves an Oscar. Um, our next character is Beth. Uh, she's she's the uh, publisher? Publicist? She's one of those things. Um, Beth 
Okay, here's where I got a little bit annoyed with what the narrative did with Beth, not yes. necessarily Beth herself. Yes, correct. She got this, like, weird relationship with this weird pilot um, who was, like, clearly in love with her, but he was also very, very weird, and so she was just, like, constantly being like, we are friends, we are friendly, we are friends. You mm -hmm. talk to a goat, we are friends. Yeah. Which... <sighs> just, like... She is so cool, and she is a fat black lady. Like, I am begging y'all just give her a straightforward romance. Like, yeah. there is no reason she couldn't have gotten with Brad Pitt. No, 100%. Um, played by uh, Divine Joy Randolph. Um, she does a phenomenal job. Um, but, like, yeah, I, this is starts to get into some of, like, the weird stuff that this movie does that it absolutely deserves to be slammed for, which is just, like, you know, uh, the only, you know black person in this film um who you know you know it's fine to, to give somebody a b plot but then also make them be like the object of like this you know cre quote creepy foreigner you know unquote you know a guy who's like kind of like you know hitting on her and, and being like weird like that that kind of sucks um you know, like, I, I do wish that they did better by Beth. Um, you know, her whole, her whole, you know, reason for being in the film is to, you know, like, act as, as um, Loretta's introduction, you know, set her up, like, a, as a successful author, and then come in at the end um, with the boat to save her. But, like, you know, they, they only have to include that because it, it serves as a vehicle to get her off the island. Um, and it's, uh, it's a shame. I think they wasted, um, uh, Miss Randolph's skills, and I uh, hope we see her in future films. Yeah, because she was a joy to watch on screen. She, she was, was so incredibly very funny. Um, Brad Pitt kind of ruled in this movie. I think Brad Pitt is the best when he is not taking himself seriously. I don't know if you've ever seen Ocean's Eleven, but like when he's just I, like, yeah. Oh, I love Ocean's Eleven, and then oh, oddly enough, Ocean's Eight, Sandy Bullock. There we go. Yeah, it's, it all comes full circle. Um, but you know, like I think, he, like you know, he was in um, like Troy, I believe, and he was like a fine Achilles. But like he is at his best when he's like kind of a goofy dude who is just like you know knows that he is Brad Pitt, the the actor, and is like kind of playing into that. Um, like he he's like playing this ex-military guy who, like, does all this cool action movie shit, and, um, Channing Tatum is just kind of, like, following him, and he's just like, come on, man, you gotta be cool, um, and, um, you know, he's great, he's great for the parts he's in, and then he is swiftly shot in the head, and, you know, his character serves his purpose, and, like, I think that's great, I think sometimes when your character arc is complete, you should just get your head blown off. But then it's revealed in the post-credits scene that you only use 10% of your brain. and <laughs> That's an incredible line. Yeah, no, he actually survived getting his head blown off. It's really good. Um, uh, hysterical. Uh, it was hysterical. He did rule incredibly. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think he thrives. Just like Channing Tatum, just like Sandy Bullock, because we've seen Sandy Bullock take herself seriously, the blind side, and it's not great. Yeah, we'll great. talk about that. Yeah, we'll um, talk about that. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so those are our characters. Uh, shout out to everyone in this movie. Everyone had so much fucking fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Aaron, um, you have a history with rom-coms. So here's the thing. Um, I actually like rom-coms, like, kind of bit. Like, I, I think that watching rom- One of my earliest memories, um, 
maybe not earliest, but like I was in Singapore for like two months um, because my mom, my mom was staying with her family for a long time. Um, and over those two months, I remember my mom and my auntie and I all sitting uh, on this couch at like 11, you know, like up till midnight watching the um, Jack Nicholson rom-com, um, Something's Gotta Give. Um and all I remember about that is that there's a scene where Jack Nicholson has to climb stairs in order to prove that he can have sex. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I remember watching these rom-coms, these chick flicks, and, like, kind of having fun with them. Like, uh, I watched um, both Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, um, those, like, big, like, all-star ensemble casts where everybody, like, knows each other. And, like, I, like, had a great time. I kind of like those movies um, just because, like... The, there is something that is fun about going into a movie with the expectation that like you know what's going to happen at the end you know the two leads are going to get together and they're going to be happy but like the the jur- the, the journey is the fun part not necessarily like finding out the destination um and, and like all the weird and fun ways that people interact like it's kind of why they bring up the fact that romance in is the you know best-selling novel category in this book and like that i i, I know nothing about romance you know and i think that romance writers are incredible um but like i think that might be why romance is so interesting because like th- there is a level of security right if you if you you know go into a, a romance kind of expecting that your two main characters uh get together right there is a level of being like i know where this ends up i know it's going to be okay so i can kind of weather the emotional turmoil a little bit better um and also i get to see like these fun interactions um in between characters um you know they get to do fun goofy or dramatic stuff together and that's really cool um and like that's why I think, like, romance stuff, like, I really like that. I, you know, I wish that I, you know, frankly, I, I don't watch very many movies except for, you know, my podcasts. But, like, I do kind of wish I there were more fucking films like Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve because, like, I just have fun with those. I, I, I like that shit. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot we can learn about storytelling through, through watching, you know, fun movies like that. I wish I knew you liked rom-coms because I would suggest more of them. I'm quite used to people being, um, how do I put this, very biased against the art of a good rom-com. I'm not a huge fan of those, like, big Valentine's Day, uh, uh, New Year's Eve ones. um, But I do love just two beautiful people doing stupid beautiful things in contrived ways and then kissing at the end like that's fun for me so like i'm familiar with the matthew mcconaughey fool's gold that was a lot of fun when i watched it um ella enchanted i would consider a rom-com yes um love anne hathaway love that movie shout out stan um truly shouts the best rom-coms are so charming and have so much chemistry that they make you forget about the plot a little bit. Um, I would also argue Legally Blonde is a rom-com. Big fan of Legally Blonde in this house. Um, Would you say that our beloved um, Princess Switch franchise is a rom-com series? Absolutely, 100,000%. Every girl, every Vanessa Ann Hudgens gets a man. (laughs) As is decreed. Which, by the way, uh, Netflix call us. We have some spinoff suggestions that we think uh, would be absolute fucking hits. Uh, yeah. Long live the Princess Switch cinematic universe. <laughs> um, I think where rom-coms get into, uh, like, shit territory for me is, like, I was so excited for Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in Marry Me. 
I, my mom and I, like, bonded over J-Lo rom-coms back when she was at her height in, like, the, the late, early 2000s. Um, Monster-in-Law, Bitches Love, fucking, literally anything. Made Manhattan as, like, problematic as that movie was. My mom and I love Made in Manhattan. Uh, J-Lo really has, like, a way with rom-coms where she's just seamless in the same kind of, quote-unquote, good girl role. And she always has some, like, handsome white dude and some sort of external circumstances keeping them apart. It's formulaic and beautiful. It's a great time. Marry Me was such a nothing of a movie to me. And it, if the writing felt outdated, it felt like it was trying to give, like, a early 2000s, like, quote-unquote feminist message of, like, women should be more than their marriage. And it's like, yes, but I came here to watch you marry math teacher Owen Wilson because he was holding up a sign and then the two of you learning how to like live between a math teacher and a pop star's lifestyle. Like that's <laughs> what I was looking for. And you gave me none of that, despite how charming some of the Owen Wilson scenes were. Um, but I love rom-coms. I think they're delightful. I'm a big fan of romance myself. Um, and uh, this this really scratched a niche for me that Marry Me just simply did not. And thank you, Sandy. And thank you, Channing. Y'all did great. Um, except, except for. for. <laughs> so um, whenever we get a white person doing archaeology, uh, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because I know something's wrong. Uh, I know some theft, uh, some colonialism is bound to happen. Um, and it, and it does now they don't, you know, they, they do specify, like, like they say the name of a a native, you know, tribe, um, that like this, you know, they're doing this archeological dig on, um, and they even like make a, they like say that the name of the, um, uh, like tribe, um, it like in the book, like the name, the name of the book was going to be like the lost city of, uh, these people, um, I'm trying to look up and see if it's in the Wikipedia, but like they, they say that it was like so long that that, that white audiences like wouldn't be able to pronounce it, so they just shortened it to the Lost City of D or something, um, and like it's, like they're they're like acknowledging that what they're doing is like a weird bit of like anthropological racism, um, that might not be the right way, phrase, but like you know doing archaeology and also being racist about it. Um, and, like, there's a part where, like, you know, uh, Daniel Radcliffe gives uh, um, Loretta, like, this thing to translate. And he, he's like, listen, this, this scrap of, you know, this, you know, ancient language, you know, um, no, one was el- no one else was able to translate it before. And she's like, yeah, well, no one else tried. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, that's just patently untrue, right? Like, if <laughs> you can't be the only person studying this one thing. Like, I, I guarantee you that there are people living on that island. And in fact, um, later on, when it comes on, like, there's, you know, native people who are singing, you know, singing in Spanish, and they're telling the, like, the legends of the island. It's like, you know, people live there, um, and, and even in the fiction of the world. Uh, and, like, you know, it, she she makes herself into this, you know, like, Indiana Jones figure who's just like, I gotta, I gotta, find, you know, unlock the secrets that no one else was able to figure out. Um, and then at the very end, they do the worst thing ever, which is like they find the you know this place where the quote unquote hidden treasure is. Um, you know they get locked inside the tomb of these native people, these these native rulers. Um, and then once they are able to escape, 
you know, Sandra Bullock drops her wedding ring into the tomb uh, and says this phrase like, you know, sweeter after hardship in Latin. That was her special phrase with her husband. Um, and then they, you know, close the tomb up or whatever. It's like, well, I, th- I think you've missed the mark, Miss Bullock. I don't think that if you respected the people who lived here, you would do that. Yeah, um, and like there was also a part where one of the one of Daniel Radcliffe's uh, guards is from this region, and like Daniel Radcliffe shuts him down pretty hard. And it's like uh, I get what it was trying to do, but it was this very like uh, it was more about if uh, it sometimes felt like it was just a white people telling a story and like trying to be quote unquote woke. But just not having enough, maybe, sensitivity readers or friends of color or, you know, people of color in the writing room. I really don't know what the makeup of that writing room was. So I It's all white assume. people. I looked them up. Oh, okay. It's all white people. Yeah, that makes sense. So, it's just like, you could have hired, you could have hired some native writers. And this would have been a perfect flick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame, but uh, outside of that, delightful fun. Yeah, no, it's very fun for what it is. You know, I think it absolutely hits at what it's going for. Um, and that's, you know, if you're if you're achieving what you set out to achieve, it's hard to, you know, criticize you for that unless what, what you're setting out to achieve is heinous. And for the most part, it's not. Um, but yeah, no, it was great. Um, I had a lot of fun with it and I hope that we, uh, cover more romance stuff in the future because I think that'll be useful for me as a writer. Uh, I mean, I was, even in my notes, I was like, maybe I should just start trying to write romance, even though I'm fucking bad at it. Like, it seems like maybe it's easy based on, actually, no, that's not true. I don't want to say that at all. Um, the, the lines that they have Sandy Bullock write are probably not actually what real romance writers are like. Uh, and I... I, I was going to say they are not at all and be very careful yeah, because I know. a very ha- good professional <laughs> romance writer listens to this podcast. Yeah, no, sorry. Um, I, I know that. No, I am well aware of the place that romance holds in literature. And, um, you know, I just I, I, want, I want a part of your pie is the actual answer. <laughs> y- y'all are making bank and I would also like to make bank. But um, yeah, no, I, I was thinking, you know, if if I was somebody who was going to write a a rom-com similar to mm-hmm. The Lost City, you know, kind of like an action adventure. I think that I would like to do Bridgerton, but with reverse white saviorism. Uh-huh, okay. Um, what do you mean? So, right, Bridgerton is criticized, rightly so, for being, like, you know, out of time, right? Like, they've got, you know, black actors, they've got Indian actors, you know, you know, living in the English aristocracy and being able to move within those circles without fear of racism. And you know what? That's great. I'm happy that we can tell those stories, but, you know, we cannot, you know, uh, we can't just, like, ignore the fact that that's, you know, that is a fantasy, right? Because in, in the actual historical context, that would not have been possible. Uh, but if we are going to play out that fantasy, um, mm-hmm. why not have some fun with it? And, you know, instead of, um, you know, a, uh, a white, um, you know, you know, army officer coming to India and, you know, learning their customs and, you know, becoming the, the sultan, um, you know, and, and, and adopting their customs and being the best one of them. Why don't we have uh, a Daisy woman uh, go over to 
England and, and teach them and learn how to become the best white person so good at making Yorkshire puddings and uh, playing polo that she becomes the Queen of England. Uh, <laughs> I, I love to take uh, weird, bad tropes and turn them on their heads just to see how fucking weird it would be. Uh, and I think it would be very funny to make a brown person uh, take over the throne of England. <laughs> I think that would be hysterical. Um, and I want a rom-com that does that. <laughs> I want Meghan Markle to be the Queen of England. <laughs> yeah. I, hmm. I mean... Right, it is Meghan Markle, right? Yeah, Meghan Markle. Uh, that would be fun. That would be a delightful time. Um, I, I, whenever you describe this concept, all I can think about is that awful direct-to-VHS Pocahontas sequel. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know you've mentioned it. Um... Listen, I don't want that. I don't want, you know, you know, no, bra- I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that's what you're pitching. I'm just saying that, like, that would be the good version of that incredibly racist, very odd movie. Yeah. Um, do you do you have a weird ideal rom-com? Ideal rom I mean, what is my ideal rom-com? I mean, like. See, that's hard for me because I'm so easily swayed by romance. I think my ideal rom-com is just Howl's Moving Castle. It is just (laughs) a smart woman trapped in an unusual circumstance with an idiot hot coward um, and having to get out of that. So, um, you know, our our wonderful, uh, not only the Miyazaki version, but I also like the book version of Howl's Moving Castle because, like... Howell is a Welsh asshole in that one. He's just like a dude that figured out how to cross over into the magic realm and like plays guitar. He's so stupid. Um, so like if anybody wants to pick up the mantle that Diana Wine Jones so lovingly laid at our feet and give me more magic idiots being stupid dipshits with smart women, that's that's it. That's my ideal rom-com. I feel like as a connoisseur of the genre, I have like a much um I'm much a much more broad enjoyment of <laughs> of the medium, and I can't I can't possibly weave an ideal situation because I just you know I I love love I think it's fun to watch. Listen, when we become Disney executives, we will crank out some extremely good shows. Um, just you wait, listeners. Uh, it'll be a good time. Uh, but when we are not uh, writing the perfect rom com, uh. Where can we be found on the internet? You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Uh, tragically, today, there was a shooting in my hometown. Um, it was an active, fucking awful racism uh, that resulted in, at least at this point, 10 people being dead. So if you want to help people, help the victims of those uh, of that awful crime, you can keep watching my Twitter feed. I will be posting links as soon as I come across them. Aaron, what about you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet about tabletop RPGs, writing, and health policy. Um, you can find me on YouTube, where I do tabletop reviews at AA Voigt. Uh, you can listen to the other shows I do. Um, one is at The Bible Boys, uh, where we talk about Christian media. Um, and we will hopefully be talking about the uh, HBO Way Down um, next week, which will be a good time. Or a bad time, probably a bad time for me. Yeah, statistically, um, it's those are a bad time for you. Yes. Um, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find them on keshko.bandcamp.com. 
but yeah, no, I mean, I think that's it. We've, we've done it, Layla. Um, yeah, uh, we're just gonna, you know, leave this great, uh, lost city and return to a world, um, with, you know, idiots and, and, and sexism in it. Aaron, don't fucking mansplain sexism to me. Well, Layla, I'm a feminist, and I think women can do anything a man can do. <laughs> you have to say we'll see you all oh, next we'll week. Oh, we'll see you all next week. <laughs> Jesus, what a nightmare. I'm keeping that in the edit. <laughs>